0: Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and every week we explore topics that are trending and important in the wine world. everyone, and welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. Every week, Mark and I join you, and we explore some of the trending topics in the wine world that we hope will interest you and will get you a little bit more excited about the wine in your glass. How are you doing this week, Mark?
1: Everything's great, Kim. How are you today?
0: I'm Thank you.
1: Always great talking wine with our listeners, and I'm sure we have a lot of topics to discuss, right? Indeed. So what's what's first today, Kim?
0: So the first thing that we wanted to talk about today, as people are spending a little bit more time at home, we found a, a great article from one of our most favorite wine websites, Wine Folly, exploring wine movies that you might have a little bit more time to watch. <laughs> you are... At home, or uh, you know, maybe you're having to take a break from your employment, and now that it's summer and the kids are out from school, so we've got some uh, some wine movies that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, and not necessarily all of these are about wine, but that wine is a significant feature in a lot. You know, yeah, how she, many of these? She listed
1: ha- this Kim as uh, wine movies you don't want to miss, and then I I like the way she. She listed them by categories. She gave the, the year of the movie. Uh, she also gave the source where you can watch them, Amazon Prime or Hulu or many other sources. So I did write down a few of these because I had some time as many others did recently. And uh, I was surprised how many I saw on the list. Did you see a lot of them already, Kim?
0: I have seen a few of these, yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting because what you're you're absolutely right about how she really broke this down into very manageable categories. It's like if you like documentaries, look at these. If you want something that's really like wine geeky, here are some ideas. And then there are other ones that are just like, well, wine is a component in these in these movies, but you know, watch them for something else that's got going, you know, either really good actors, or it's a fun story, or it's romantic, or, you know, whatever other category you're into when it comes to, to your movies. So I thought that this was nice, because it, it does have a little bit of something for everyone. And there are new movies, old movies, documentaries, fiction, some that are some things that are based on real events and other ones that are completely made up. And yeah, hopefully a little bit for everyone. So there definitely are a handful that I have already seen. So I've got some favorites on this list already.
1: So how did, how do you want to tell our listeners buddy? You want to just talk about your favorites and I'll tell you about the ones I saw instead of highlighting sure. those or. So. Sure.
0: And I think we should probably mention like one per category. So if people have a particular type of wine movie or particular type of movie that they want to see that, that this might be something to pique their interest. All
1: right. So you pick a, a category and one you watch then. How about that?
0: Okay. So I there are a a lot of different categories on here. So I'm going to go first with the um, the classics category. And there is one on here that I would say probably everyone in my wine generation has seen. Anyone who's been working in the wine industry in the last 20 years has definitely seen Sideways. Uh, And that was probably the most influential wine movie of the last two decades because it completely changed the public's perception of the Pinot Noir grape, And after this movie came out, people were just clamoring for California Pinot Noir. And producers ripped up Merlot, ripped up other things, planted Pinot, and we got lots of inexpensive, pretty decent, you know, Pinot Noir on the market. But it completely changed buying patterns, which I think is completely fascinating. So something very interesting where something in popular culture, you know, just as kind of random wine movie really influenced people's buying habits.
1: Yeah. And I couldn't believe 2000. Oh, yeah. 2004. Matter of fact, just a couple weeks ago, I was flipping. I mean, this, they were saying to find this on Amazon Prime, but I was flipping through like Cinemax or something one night and I saw it. And of course I had to turn it on and A classic, (laughs) classic movie in in the wine world, definitely. And uh, like you said, it drove everybody to drinking more Pinot Noir and hating Merlot. So what's his name? Bart Giamatti, right? Bart Uh, Giamatti? um, Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Yeah,
0: I think think Bart was his father.
1: Great movie. And also in that category was Bottle Shock from 2008, which I think is another one of those classic everyone's seen who's a wine geek related to... Uh, Chateau Montalena. It was a, like the story of Chateau Montalena and the, the famous Paris tasting in 76. You've seen that, I'm sure, Cameron. right? I
0: really like Bottle Shock. Bottle Shock might actually be my favorite wine movie on this list. Um, I'm a big Alan Rickman fan, so that might be a part of why I really like this movie. But for me, this movie is is fun because it is based on real events. So because we see, you know, a little bit of a fictionalization of something that really happened. This was back in 1976, where California wines were really just starting to come on into the mainstream and were not even trying to prove a point. But this English guy uh, decided to have a tasting in Paris and he was pitting California wines, which nobody really thought would do anything exciting, uh, against really classic French wines. And it was a blind tasting. And to the surprise of everyone, the California wines overall came out ahead of their French counterparts. So this was this, I guess you could call it a pebble dropped in a pond that then had these waves that really had an enormous impact on uh, the wine industry. So this is really, this is an event that's really viewed as the birth of the fine wine movement in California. So a very, very important part of wine history and a movie that I, a story that I like, So and a movie that I also am, am quite fond of.
1: It brought to light all California wines and it showed all the small guys at the time banding together to promote their products over in over in uh, France. Classic, classic movie. It was a good scene where he tried to sneak all the bottles on the plane to get them back to France. And he had to have each passenger hold so many bottles because he could only take so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you
0: take two and you take two and you take two.
1: (laughs) Good movie.
0: Good movie.
1: There was a Um, new one on that list that just was released too. It was called Uncorked. Did you see
0: that? I have not seen that yet, Uh, but that it keeps popping up in my social media feeds as something that I, that I should view. So So it's probably something that I should do soon.
1: It had all these classic older movies. And then this Uncorked was just released at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. And I did catch it because it was something new. It was a great story about a gentleman studying for the sommelier exam. He wanted to become a master of wine and his family owned a small business and He it was hard because he had to work at the business. He wanted to leave the business to go into wine. He actually traveled to learn more about wine and then it falls him through the whole exam. So it's really shows how these guys have to work and to pay for the school then also only pay for their wines because mm-hmm. they're tasting every day and there was points where he was borrowing money from his friends just to buy a bottle so you could taste on a on a certain day so great story so that's one of the newer ones uncorked it was called it's on amazon is this
0: fiction or is this a documentary
1: it was it was fiction
0: it was fiction yeah
1: it was fiction i actually looked them like looked them up to see if it was a real thing or Uh wasn't so but good movie and And there go ahead
0: and there are a lot of there are a lot of documentaries on this list too so that's why i asked because for some reason when i get little notifications about that movie in the back of my mind of saying oh this looks like a documentary is this real or is this is this a fictional movie so yeah i like yeah. how
1: they did it, it the, but cool. the, there was a lot of those documentaries where the biggest one on this list was psalm uh, mm-hmm. which was parts one two and three now so actually i think there's four parts right there's psalm
0: i think there's three i think there's psalm um i've got i know psalm i've seen three. about psalm three yep
1: I've only seen, I think, two of them, but it, it once again, follows the process, people studying wine and how they go through their exam. And we always use that movie as a classic example of tasting and how these super tasters are identifying and, and they have so many minutes to identify the wines and say everything about the wines and say where it's from, what it is, what the vintage is. It's it's something to watch to, for, to see how people could be real geeky in wine.
0: (laughs) And even those of us that are, you know, in the industry and that do wine every day, and just the idea, I think, of being under that pressure to have that correct answer. And I do a lot of blind tastings, and it's hard. It's really hard to do and and to have yourself trained that, you know, this is the be all and end all of wine testing. Just crazy. I, I can't even imagine going through that that kind of a test. Yeah. Um, Stress. The only one on this list that I have seen is uh, for, of documentaries is Mondovino, which also came out around the same time as Sideways. It might have been maybe a year earlier. Um, and this was exploring the globalization of wine. And it really put some of the big producers and, uh, and the big sort of taste influencers about 15, 20 years ago in the wine industry really in a bad light. Like it was really uh, focused on these smaller producers and how their way of life and their way of making wine was in jeopardy from these big guys who would travel all over the world and would consult with uh, winemakers in dozens of different countries. And then all their wines sort of ended up tasting a little bit the same because they were all being consulted by these, you know, individuals who... They have a particular flavor profile that they like and a particular style of wine that they want people to make. Refresh
1: it, my memory, Kim. Was mm-hmm. this the one where the gentleman is consultant and he goes around to all the wineries and he brought to light like micro oxygenation? Yeah. Okay. Yep. What was his name? Ro- Roland?
0: Um, Michelle Roland.
1: Roland, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, so, so a Frenchman. yeah. I did see it, yeah. Yep.
0: yep. Yeah. It, it it presents the mandavi family and not the most flattering of lights. And I I feel like this came out in like two thousand and three ish. So right around yeah, right around. Two thousand four, yep. Two thousand four. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. I think it was um,
1: subtitled too, right? Wasn't it subtitles? I think
0: some parts of it were because they really talked to a lot of these smaller. Vineyard holders and smaller winemakers in France, so there was there was a lot of, of dual language things going on. So yeah, there was there was some side, subtitles in here, but a, a lot of it was in English too because they were talking to American winemakers. Yeah, folks a
1: lot like of that. wine geeky stuff in that. In yeah, that,
0: yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely that's definitely wine. Um, but there there are a couple of other ones on here that I think I'm going to uh, check out. There's a year in Burgundy. And then it's sister movie, A Year in Champagne, and having been to both of those places, uh, and they're near and dear to my heart, I will, uh, I'll definitely check those out. And then there are some others that are, she um, just put them in like the weird wine category, which I think was really funny. It was something that involved like vampires and <laughs> it was just like wine as sort of a tangential part of a movie that had all these other kind of wacky things going on. So.
1: Did you ever see Kim on the list? There was the the uh, Secret of Santa Victoria. I
0: haven't. That's one of the older ones on the 1969. list. Nineteen sixty
1: nine. You know, I saw this many years ago, and then when I saw this list, I said I have to seek it out because nineteen sixty nine, a, a movie about wine. I have to see this, and I started watching it, and I remembered watching it years ago.
0: Really?
1: Story about a little village in Italy. The German army is at the point where they're starting to go into these towns and take over. They had this huge wine cellar. The town made wine and they put it in a cellar and the Germans knew it. And they mm-hmm. would come in there to inventory it and basically take it. So it's the process of how they fooled the Germans of what they had. And the classic mayor of this of the town was Bumbelini was his name. I'll Bumbolini. never forget the name. Bumbelini. <laughs> Bumbelini. And he, it was just this normal guy and he had this plan. And if you haven't seen it, and you like old movies. I like old movies. And... uh classic italian old movie
0: oh i'm totally gonna check that out yeah there's there's so many historical documentations that the french did the exact same thing during world war ii where you know they um they bricked up certain parts of the cellar and they tried to hide all their stuff from the nazis and interesting that there's an italian movie focusing on the exact same subject
1: yeah same thing
0: so check out this article from wine folly 22 wine movies you don't want to miss and uh and see if something here piques your interest because there are a lot of different things and a whole bunch of different categories so we hope that you find a new movie for your friday or even your wednesday night
1: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find more information about Kim on her website, vinitaswineworks.com. You can find more information about myself on franklinliquors.com, and you can find our show on Facebook, The Wonderful World of Wine. Next, we have an article that was in Wine Spectator, and it was talking about why wine grapes are different from Fruit that are made into wines. Is that the
0: right thing I was saying there, Kim? Yeah. Like why wine grapes. Is it, why is it that the grapes why are, are used to make wine with so much more success? You know, why when wine is just, you think about wine and you know that it's going to be made from grapes as opposed to apples or pears or plums or something else. What is it about grapes that make them so good? for being fermented into this wonderful special beverage that, that we all know and love. Um, and there are a few distinguishing characteristics about grapes specifically, but but wine grapes ab- above these other fruit, but also above other types of grapes that make them um, really, really good for being turned into wine.
1: So what's the big difference, Kim, for our listeners? The wine grapes versus Concord grapes that are on the shelf for the- these cotton candy grapes that are on the, mm. in the produce section, what's the biggest difference why so the, those are used?
0: Sure. So the real big difference that makes wine grapes so much better for making it to wine is this balance of acids and sugars. Now, when we eat a piece of fruit, say, you know, a perfectly ripe peach or something else like that, it tastes really sweet to us. So you feel like there must be enough sugar in there to if you crush that up, you know, oh, I can make peach wine. There's plenty of sugar in here. But there has to really be a lot of sugar in your juice in order for it to ferment into an alcoholic beverage that has enough alcohol to make a stable product. So the thing about these particular types of grapes that we grow for making into wines, they were talking about Pinot Noir and Cabernet and Chardonnay, these Vitis vinifera grape, grapes that have been grown for you know centuries thousands of years to make wine is that they have enough of those fermentable sugars that you don't have to add any more sugar to it that once the yeast is eating that sugar and turning it into alcohol it has a high enough level that it won't get moldy and it won't go bad but in addition to that it also has to have these other components that create a balance of flavors so just as important as the sugars are also the acids and I think that that is a big difference between what we find in the produce section as far as the grapes go and what you find for wine grapes is this they the balance of flavors might not taste right if you eat them just as a grape but after you ferment the juice then the balance is spot on for tasting like good wine.
1: Yeah, so the article mentioned that the the wine grapes have enough sugar where it can just ferment on its own whereas other fruits you'd have to add something to keep the fermentation going. Mm-hmm. So it
0: has to be a little bit more, you know, human involvement and adding other ingredients. Whereas these particular grapes, once you crush the juice, it's almost like this, this perfect balance in there.
1: And fruit wines in our region are very popular. We have oh, yeah. Neshoba Vineyards. They, they make apple, cranberry, blueberry. How many fruit wines do you think you've tried, Kim?
0: Let's see. Definitely apple, cranberry, blueberry, Pear, peach, Boone's Farms count as fruit. Yeah, wine. <laughs> no.
1: real fruit. We want real, real, not fruit real
0: fruit. Real um, fruit. But yeah, you know those those New England fruits that we see. Although there are things that are, you know, there's pineapple wine out there. If you are in Hawaii and you want to try something uh, something a little bit more tropical, so there's yeah, you know, a, a, a lot pine- of other berries, a lot of other uh, other fruits in other places too.
1: I stock pineapple wine from Connecticut.
0: Pineapple wine they make connected? pineapple
1: and cherry. And I, I I think fruit wines like that are perfect status for sangria too. Oh, very
0: nice.
1: You know, pineapple is unique. I'm usually sure. surprised like in the past when I've had like blueberry, mm-hmm. I'm always expecting, and it gets back to the sugar, you're always expecting this real sweet fruit. And most of the time it's very, very, very dry and, and hints of the fruit. Mm-hmm. You ever notice that? Yeah. Like in the blueberry, they have a dry and they have what they call a sweet. But the sweet to me still isn't what I'm expecting for a sweetness level. Yeah. Yeah,
0: One of the other things that makes wine grapes so unique and so, so great for making into wine is that as they are fermenting, their flavors change. So, you know, when you have a blueberry wine, you're expecting it to taste like, you know, this pow of blueberry. But when you have... Chardonnay or you have Sauvignon Blanc, it doesn't taste like grape juice. You know, you're getting all of these other flavors that are reminding you of all of these other things. You know, you might get cut grass, you might get citrus fruit, you might get all all of these other wonderful flavors but not grape. And I think with other their fruits, when you ferment apples to make cider, it still tastes like apples. When you do the same thing for pears to make peri, it still tastes like pears. But because wine grapes during their fermentation change and they get even more complex than just drinking the juice on its own, that's one of the things that makes them so exciting about being turned into wine is that they have this almost like magical ability to to become something different and become something more complex with their flavors and their aromas and their textures. And you don't really get that with a lot of other fruits. Like there's very, very little that it, after fermentation, it has all these other flavors and it's, it's a lot more interesting to smell and taste than, than wine grape wine. So I think that's one of the reasons why why grapes really still come out on top as far as what are we going to ferment into wine?
1: What's the weirdest Fruit wine you've seen, not necessarily tried, but you've seen
0: oh goodness
1: articles on. I don't know because I've, I've been seeing Do you have
0: one in mind that well, you've I've been seen? seeing a,
1: I've been seeing a trend a few times lately about tomato wine. Hmm.
0: Tomato was a you fruit. Seen a... I have not seen anything about tomato wine. Oh. I
1: don't know wh- you know what would be the interest in that, but I've seen a lot of trending how to make tomato so wine. Actual I know you're putting in a big garden this year, juice? Hmm. yeah. I mean, well. anything would. Sugar, right?
0: Yeah, totally true. And the acid level of tomatoes is pretty high, so uh, it might make a balance wine with tomato. That would be interesting. Yeah, I think
1: probably. that's probably the strangest that's one strange. I've seen.
0: Yeah, that's pretty strange.
1: And there was a yeah. local thing being sold on the internet too, so we'll have to, we'll have to get a bottle of that.
0: All right, we are going to taste some tomato wine so that you don't have to, and we'll let you know how it is. You are listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And for more information about Mark, go to franklinlickers.com. For more information about myself, go to vinitaswineworks.com. So, as we are uh, all still trying to do our best to isolate and maybe quarantine ourselves if uh, people in our families are sick, we are finding ourselves working through the food in our pantries a little bit more, perhaps maybe simplifying our meals. And we came across a great article from themanual.com, which is talking about quarantine food and wine pairings. Now we know how much I love food and wine pairings. And this is really nice because it gives you some really simple, basic recipes that you probably make all the time and some ideas of what wines you might want to pair
1: with them. Yeah, and I like this, Kim, because everybody knows you're the foodie, but this was foods I can relate to. You know, nothing nothing crazy, no goose liver or anything. Like
0: that. <laughs> I thought you might like that because it's like nine, I looked at the list and yep, I'm like, ah, meatloaf. Nine very simple things. Burritos. Now,
1: so I'm glad you started with meatloaf because that was one of the things on the list. And I have to tell you, That was a joke for me when I first started learning wine, because they used to always say, what would you pair this? What would you pair? The only thing I could ever relate to was meatloaf and hamburgers. Mm -hmm. Anything that was tannic, I would say meatloaf, right? Because that was my go-to. That was my, because I was a basic food guy. That's all I knew. So they did talk about meatloaf. What did you think about their, their pairing suggestion?
0: So their recommendation for meatloaf was Syrah which I think is a a good idea, um, especially depending on the type of meat that you use for your mix, for your meatloaf mix. So if you're just doing beef, Syrah can bring out those nice kind of meaty, savory notes. But if you put something like lamb in your meatloaf or something a little bit, uh, we put uh, bison in ours sometimes, we call it (laughs) buffalo. Just a little joke in my house. Um, but if you put something spicy and something savory like a Syrah with a, a meatloaf that has a mixture of meats like that, it's going to bring out that meatiness and those those savory notes, both for the wine and for the meatloaf. So I actually think that Syrah is is a really nice suggestion for meatloaf. What do you usually See, do for meatloaf since you like meatloaf? That's,
1: that's interesting because I wasn't even thinking the meat used in the meatloaf because I'm always traditional just hamburger. I was always thinking about what you're topping the Ah, meatloaf with. Are you putting a barbecue sauce? Are you putting ketchup? Are you putting cheese? Are you putting those little onion things? Bacon. So to me, that goes, you know, the pairing's key on that. Mm -hmm. I was thinking the meat is always the same. But if I'm putting barbecue sauce, you know, Syrah works, but I might want something with a little more spice or Uh something to cool it off a little. But Syrah definitely works with meatloaf.
0: But meatloaf is a, a very forgiving type of meal for red wine. So as long as you do, don't do anything too light, like I probably wouldn't do a Pinot Noir with meatloaf. I might not do like Chianti, but anything else like, you know, Bordeaux or Cabernet or even uh Cote de some Grenache-based things. Practically anything from Spain is going to be great. So um, meatloaf is a very, very versatile dish to put with a whole variety of red wines. So I'm glad that they put that on the list.
1: Yeah, definitely a good comfort quarantine food, yeah. too. There was another one on here, Kim, one of my favorites foods, fish sticks,
0: <laughs>
1: right? You don't hear this too often, pear and wine, but what I thought was really strange was a very inexpensive food, right, fish sticks, they wanted to pair it with a white burgundy.
0: I know. <laughs>
1: right? I'm not thinking white burgundy. I mean, thinking white with fish, yeah, but I was never thinking white burgundy,
0: I I understand where they're coming from when it comes to the style of the wine, because yes, white burgundy is Chardonnay, and there are some white burgundies that are richer and nuttier and fuller, but I feel like fish sticks maybe with a lighter Chardonnay, like Chablis or something from New Zealand, um, where it's got a lot of like peachy, citrusy. You know, you often feel with something like this, where it's white fish, maybe fried, that it can really benefit from a squeeze of, of lemon or some tartar sauce. And if you have a lively, citrusy, unoaked Chardonnay, then that creates that kind of a flavor foil. So I can definitely see that uh, that, that kind of pairing would work would work well. Um, but I also think something like Sauvignon Blanc would be really great too with fish sticks.
1: There you go. That was my go-to. Yeah.
0: Fish sticks. Sauvignon Blanc is my go-to Sauvignon anyway. So. Lemon,
1: citrus, when you mm-hmm. put a little squeeze of lemon or tartar sauce or something on the fish sticks. Now I'm hungry, but... Let's pick. Let's pick one more.
0: So I want to go with macaroni and cheese because right. I feel like macaroni and cheese. I made some last night. Um, I made a macaroni and cheese casserole, and I threw a little fish in there. We like canned salmon with some vegetables. Again, this is something out something for a meal that is very very versatile. You can make it at home. You can throw in whatever you happen to have in the refrigerator, and it, it's very forgiving with what you pair it with. We paired it with sparkling rosé cremant from Alsace, so a sparkling Pinot Noir because we had some canned salmon in there and I, I like salmon and, and Pinot Noir together. And they, their they recommendation yeah. actually was Pinot Noir with macaroni and cheese. And I have to say that a rosé version of Pinot Noir is, from personal experience, quite a nice pairing with macaroni and cheese.
1: So again, I was going totally different direction with the cheese. I was thinking butter. I was thinking a buttery, oaky Chardonnay.
0: Mm-hmm. I would also say something like Pinot Grigio. Like I would want Uh, something that cuts through the cheese as well. So yeah, usually a a bright white is my go-to, but I really wanted to play off the flavors of the fish when I did it. But again, you know, something that uses a little bit of the similar flavors is a good rule of thumb. So the creaminess of the cheese and the creaminess of a Chardonnay can work really well together, or you can do opposites you can do a, a bright white wine that then will cut through the creaminess of the cheese. So either ones of those either of those philosophies work uh, particularly well for food and wine pairing. Thank you for joining us this week on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Please feel free to leave us your questions and comments. And you can find past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers.